Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Hello again and welcome back. Everybody all around the world, welcome to episode 14 of this podcast. It is great to have you here. It's actually an honor to have you here. Truly it is. It's a, it's a great honor to have you with me to study this material and to continue learning uh, from the great writings of the past and from uh, from just history, real history. Always the real history is what we, uh, what we talk about here, straight from the uh, source material. And I try to make that source material, obviously, as uh, engaging as possible. And I think that I think the founding fathers would be glad that we're here too, you know, talking about this in 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 whatever context it is that we can talk about it. I think they would be extraordinarily happy that we are because I mean goodness gracious it's been almost 250 years since the uh, Declaration of Independence and certainly 250 years uh, since these guys really started their work. Even before the war they were they were working on these issues and to think that 250 years later there would be a group of people not just in the United States, but around the world, who are interested in this topic and willing to sit here and study it, I think they would really appreciate that. These uh, ancient rights, as they described it, we've talked about that in the uh, two episodes on taxation without representation. They continued that struggle to ensure that their rights were recognized as they were supposed to be. And they wrote all that down, and they created a great document, the Declaration of Independence. I mean, this document goes down in history with the great documents like the Magna Carta, Then it always will. And the Magna Carta, if you'll recall, goes back to the 1200s. You know, think about that. 800 years ago, 800 years from now, people will still be talking about the Declaration of Independence. And here we are living the dream, ladies and gentlemen, in the United States anyway. And some people just take that for granted because, you know, the, the dream may not be here forever. You know, a couple hundred years from now, there may there may not be any real appreciation for the Declaration of Independence. It may just be an old dusty document that people have written off as being uh, the rantings and ravings of these uh, anarchist people who wanted this crazy thing called freedom and liberty and didn't understand how comfortable the chains of tyranny would be. The chains of tyranny are so comfortable. Don't these people understand? Does it, didn't Dr. Franklin and John Adams and these crazy people who signed the Declaration, didn't they understand the comfort of the chains of tyranny? If you think that conversation can't happen 200 years from now, if you don't think that there's going to be somebody insane enough to have that conversation 200 years from now, or whatever, 500 years from now, it's very possible, folks. It's very possible, and we can't let that happen. It's our, it's our duty to make sure that that doesn't happen. We can't condemn an entire society or an entire planet to that kind of despotism. Despotism being just another word for tyranny, by the way. And to that end, that's, that's why we're educating ourselves here. That's why you're here, I hope, studying this material with me. And it's, uh, it says a lot about you that you're studying this material at all, because there's a lot of people who aren't. They just don't care. I mean, they're content to just um, continue about blissfully ignorant to the reality of how these things come together and how these things were created. It's a good thing that you're uh, taking the time to, to study this material because, you know, you really can't count on anybody else to educate you or your children on this issue. You know, it's really you that has to do it. I, I firmly believe that I have to do it. I just decided to share it with the world, you know, and while I'm researching this material, it, you know, this is how, you know, communities come together. You have somebody who has who wants to, they're going to do the work anyway. You might as well share it with other people so that you can distribute the load of work, right? 
I, I do the research and I find the letters and I try to articulate those to you folks so it's a whole lot easier for you to actually take in this material. You don't have to take the time to do the research. Those hours and hours and hours that I spend doing this behind the scenes. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that you never see and it's many, many hours of work. You don't have to do it. And that's a wonderful thing because it frees you up to go do the other things that you do. It's your day job. I have a day job, of course, too, but it's your day job. It's your families. It's these things that you want to do. And all you have to do is dedicate a relative relatively small portion of your time to listen to this podcast and then maybe go off and use it and, and gather some more information after the fact yourself, but you don't have to spend anywhere near the hours that I do to gather this information together, which is fantastic. Now, that's um, that's efficiency. And I, uh, I greatly appreciate you dedicating what time you do to this podcast because it's a lot. It's it's a good deal of time. I mean, each podcast is somewhere between a half hour and an hour long, and it's two episodes a week usually. That's a great commitment of time that you could be doing other things, but you're spending it here. And you know what? That's that's fantastic. It says something great about you because there's a lot of there's a lot more trivial things that you could be doing with your time. But anyway, let's uh, let's get back into the real history. Uh, on this particular episode of the podcast, we are going to be joined by John Adams. John Adams is going to be our guest on the podcast today, and we're going to be going live to, to, to John Adams from 1774. And we're going to start going through the uh, the John Adams correspondence, and we're going to obviously, just like Washington, we're going to do a number of episodes on Adams. And then we're going to move on to the next founding father, and we're going to talk about, you know, some interesting things that they had to say. Because each, each founding father has a unique perspective, and I don't know exactly how many founding fathers I'm going to cover in any given period, whether it's, you know, 1774 to 1775, and then, you know, these little blocks of time that I'm doing. But I'll select the ones I feel best represent the particular period, and they're going to change over time. James Madison is not going to have a huge presence in this early period. He's just not. You'll, you'll see things like that change and they'll ebb and they'll flow, but that's the way this is going to go. So I, I thank you for joining me. We're going to have a great time. John Adams is a great, great addition to the podcast. We're happy to have him here. We've talked about John Adams before, but we're going to really be digging into some stuff that he had to say now. And I think you're going to enjoy this because he's, I've said it before and I'll say it again, he's one of the most brilliant writers, especially, you know, putting into context things of, of a historic nature. And before I forget, uh, I wanted to mention the uh, Patreon podcast as well as I, as I typically always do. I actually uh, put down a another podcast on the Patreon side of things, and again, that's patreon.com slash podcastswithroman. The link is in the description box to this podcast, and it's a very, very different podcast episode than I've done historically. Most of my uh, podcast episodes over there are similar to what we talk about here. They're of a, they're of a historic nature. That is to say, I, I talk about history a lot, but the, uh, the one that I, I just recently released. Very, very different, but very, very good topic. And what I, I think it's a good discussion to have, and it asks a lot of very interesting questions about society in the present day, about current issues that are going on. On A very lighthearted discussion, actually. It's nothing too serious. It's, it's a really more of a, a societal discourse that we're currently having and how that discourse is going to play out over time. And I just think it was a, a very fun conversation to have. I don't hear a lot of people talk about the, the, the breadth of issues that I talk about in that episode of the podcast. I don't hear people talk about that very often, all in context like that. Very unique discussion. I don't think you're going to hear something like that elsewhere on podcast platforms. I really, really don't. So if you want a very unique uh, experience, uh, pers perspective from my point of view, check out the Patreon podcast, and uh, I think you might like it. And again, if not, then you can just bounce right back out of there. It's uh, no harm, no foul. But uh, it's entirely up to you. But check that out if you like. Uh, with that said, let's get into John Adams and his thoughts on what was going on during this period of time that we're talking about currently, 1774 to 1775. Let's get into that right now. 
So let's go to John Adams. And the first uh, document that we're going to read is actually from the diary of John Adams. The man kept a diary, of course. Uh, there was a few founding fathers who really did. I think George Washington, I think, had some diary entries I was looking at. But this is going to come from John Adams on Saturday, March the 12th, 1774. So we're starting off right at this early period of 7074. This is going to be very early, like right around the time period the Intolerable Acts are being debated and passed through Parliament and all the rest of it. And John Adams is going to talk to us a little bit about the history of what's been going on in Boston up to this point. And then, of course, I'll provide some context around it. Here we go. Quote, Hutchison and Oliver might be brought by their interested views and motives sincerely to think that an alteration in the constitution of this province and an abridgment of what are called English liberties would be for the good of the province, of America, and on the nation. In this they deceived themselves, and became the bubbles of their own avarice and ambition. The rest of the world are not thus deceived. They see clearly that such innovations will be the ruin not only of the colonies, but of the empire, and therefore think that examples ought to be made of these great offenders, the enmity of Governor Bernard Hutchinson and Oliver and others on the constitution of this province is owing to it being an obstacle to their views and designs of raising a revenue by parliamentary authority and making their own fortunes out of it, end quote. Okay, so who, first off, who, who the heck are these people he's talking about, Bernard Hutchinson and Oliver? Well, Hutchison was governor of Massachusetts until he was ousted, that is to say he was replaced, by the military governor, General Gage, when basically martial law was declared in the province of Massachusetts, coinciding really with the intolerable acts and the blockade of the Port of Boston, all that stuff. Oliver here is what I, who I believe to be Andrew Oliver, a, a sometimes loyalist and administrator of the Stamp Act in Massachusetts, think the mid-1760s. Uh, the early mid-1760s is when this guy was running around out there. And being an administrator of sorts of the Stamp Act in Massachusetts, he, you can imagine a very unpopular guy. The Stamp Act, again, was a series of taxes levied upon the people of Massachusetts and all, all the rest of it so that um, to, to raise revenue, essentially. And anybody who was in support of that was, was fairly unpopular in the colonies, as I understand it. Bernard was governor of Massachusetts leading up to and during the Stamp Act. If this is the Bernard he's referring to, which I, I sincerely believe it to be. So, these collaborators and loyalists are believed to have gone along with the dictates of the central power and this, this distant parliament in Britain. Because it would benefit the colonies, they, they, they say that it would have benefited the colonies. This was their rationale or their rationalization for doing it. But really, and more specifically, they believed that it would benefit themselves. It would enrich themselves to go along with this. So we have here, you know, a, uh, some administrators and governors who are go along, going along with the dis dictates of the central power because they believe it's going to enrich them. This is very common. You know, the central power, the central dictator, the, the, the fiat dictator, as I sometimes refer to them, will often try to play upon the greed of various officials and administrators, governors, etc., congressmen, senators in order to get them to go along with the dictates of the central power. Very, very common throughout history. I mean, for crying out loud, Rome, Rome was notorious for corruption, really. And, and John Adams is articulating the similar kind of thing going on here. He, he clearly doesn't have any love for these people. He, he views them as being nefarious creatures that think they're doing the best thing for America, but, or they may, they may even really believe they're doing the best thing for America, but really underneath... These people are working to their own interests, not the interests of the United States. 
And there's this line here, you know, these people are trying to convince America and everybody in the British Empire that, you know, these changes to the Charter of Massachusetts, what they, what, what John Adams refers to here as the Constitution, they're trying to convince people that this is a good idea. It's for the benefit of America and the Empire and all the rest of it. But John Adams says this, quote, The rest of the world are not thus deceived, end quote. So he's basically saying that everybody know everybody sees right through this. This is about greed. This is about ambition. This is about slavish loyalty to the central dictator. This is not about the the good of America or the colonies. There, I, I guarantee you, though, there were probably a few people, a few loyalists, who probably did believe, along with these governors and administrators, that this was to the benefit of America. Now, why would they believe that? Why would anybody believe that? This taxation without representation was to their benefit. And the answer is, is probably because they benefited from it in some particular kind of way. People who benefit from the corruption of government often have absolutely no problem with it. They go right along with it. And it's either, it could be, and it could be for ignorance too. I mean, ignorance, greed, ambition, and laziness really are the reasons why people go along with this. And what do I mean by ignorance? They just don't know any better. If you don't understand your natural rights, if you don't understand your ancient liberties that these people were talking about, John Adams and others, George Washington, as we talked about a lot, then it's really hard for you to understand when your rights and liberties are being trampled upon. Does that make sense? If you don't know what your rights are, how in the world do you know when your rights are being trampled on by a dictator? The answer is you don't, because you're ignorant. And you're, you're not you, but you get the idea. I'm speaking in the generic you, of course. Uh, these, these kind of people really haven't the faintest clue what's going on, which is why, again, it's important that we learn this kind of material and we educate ourselves. I educate myself. You as the listeners to this podcast educate yourselves because we have to know whether you live in the United States or whether you live outside the United States, we have to know when our rights are being trampled upon. We just have to. Otherwise, the central dictator is just going to run right up and down us. He's going to steamroll us, he or she. Let's continue on here. Quote, The constitution of this province has enabled the people to resist their projects so effectually that they see they shall never carry them into execution while it exists. Their malice has therefore been directed against it, and their utmost efforts been employed to destroy it. There is so much of a republican spirit among the people which has been nourished and cherished by their form of government that they can never that they never would submit to tyrants or oppressive projects. End quote. So he's saying that Oliver, Bernard, etc., these guys, the Hutchison, these former governors and administrators are turning their malice, that is to say their hatred, their nastiness and cruelty and all these things, towards their constitution and ancient rights because they know that it's an impediment to their designs. It stands as a bulwark, that is to say a stumbling block to all kinds of tyranny that they would see unleashed in the colonies in order to enrich themselves. Isn't that interesting? Uh, a constitution and laws usually do stand against the tyrant if they're oriented towards the freedom of the people. And it stands against the tyrant's minions, the tyrant being King George III, his minions being Hutchison, Oliver, Bernard in this particular context. Constitutions based upon the limiting of the tyrant and the central power always annoy and hinder the central power. And, and eventually, the central power will attempt to uh, pick away at the constitution's and eventually will go full tyrant and simply, simply cast it aside. Just throw it into the end of the trash can. And, and you, this is a good sign. This is very important to make note of. You know when a central power is going tyrannical, when they start speaking ill of the limitations placed upon them by a constitution or a bill of rights or a declaration of independence or whatever. If they start speaking ill of that, 
pay attention, that means that they are going tyrant. They are becoming tyrannical. And I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to say it. I'm not going to mention names because I'm not going to make this a partisan issue. I, 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 I promised you folks I wouldn't get partisan on this podcast and I'm going to stick to it. That's part of my mission statement. I'll ask the question. Roman, has there been any president of the United States who has spoken ill of the Constitution and begun to go tyrant? And the answer to that question, in my opinion, is absolutely yes. And not just one president, but several. I'm not talking about a couple. I'm not talking about two or three. I'm talking about several have spoken ill of the Constitution and its constraints. It annoys the crap out of them when they have to run up against these constraints because they don't want there to be any constraints. That's when you know they they want to become a dictator. That doesn't mean they are becoming one because, again, there's so many systems in place to try to prevent that. But that means that they're trying. And as soon as somebody tries, you need to understand what that is. And don't embrace it. Even if it benefits you, don't embrace it. Because the tyrant is going to try to buy you off. They are going to try to appease you. Or a good... If they can get just... If they can just get 51% of the population to go along with them. Heck, they don't even need 51%. But if, but really, if you want to get down to base numbers, even under an ideal circumstance, if they just get 51% of the population to go along with their tyranny, it's over. In, in many societies, it is over. And that's not a tall order to get 51% of the people to go along with a tyrant because all you have to do is buy them off. And you don't even have to buy them off forever. You just have to buy them off for a short enough period of time for the tyranny to come into place and then you can do whatever you want with them. And that's usually what happens. And it doesn't end well. I'm just putting it out there. Quote, their utmost efforts been employed to destroy it. End quote. Have there ever been any efforts employed in the United States to destroy the Constitution of the United States, in my humble opinion, as the uh, host of this podcast? Yes, there have been a great many efforts deployed to destroy the Constitution of the United States of America by presidents, by Congress, by state legislatures, etc. In my opinion. And again, I'm not going to name names. This isn't a partisan podcast. I'm just putting it out there. I'm just being honest with you folks. I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't tell you what I believed in this regard. And what am I, what am I saying when I say that? I'm just saying be vigilant. Pay attention. And understand what we're against, what we're up against. We're up against tyrants and want to be tyrants. There's a lot of would-be tyrants out there. You'd be surprised how many people, you know, run for prime minister of a country uh, in, in either Britain or Israel or wherever, or president of the United States, president of France, whatever, whatever, what have you. You'd be surprised how many of these people really want to be tyrants. You think just because they're running an, an election and, and talking about quote-unquote democracy, which again, we're not a democracy in the United States, never have been, and it, it really agitates me when anybody says that we are because they're, it, it signals their lack of education. And I'm going to read something to you here, and you know, we, we are, I already read it to you, but I'm going to quote it again that demonstrates this, what the Founding Fathers were talking about when they said this is not a democracy. But even though somebody runs in an election and claims to be, oh, pro-democracy, oh, we're going to save the democracy, oh, I'm pro-democracy, whatever, that doesn't mean that they're democratic. It doesn't mean anything. It's, it's, these people will promise you one thing and do another. A lot of them are tyrannical in nature or, or would be tyrannical if they could get away with it. Here's this section from John Adams, quote, There is so much of a Republican spirit among the people, which has been nourished and cherished by their form of government, that they never would submit to tyrants or oppressive projects, end quote. Now, when he says Republican, is he talking about a political party? No. So don't think that this is partisan. There was no Republican anything when this guy was talking about This is 1774, ladies and gentlemen. The United States didn't exist, okay? So understand that. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about a form of government. He even says it. Quote, there is so much of a Republican spirit, end quote, and he continues on, quote, cherished by their form of 
government, end quote. So he's saying it's a Republican form of government that they're working on here. That's what was originally intended. This is 1774, ladies and gentlemen. This is before the Declaration of Independence, and it's way before the Constitution of the United States. And he's talking about a republic, not a democracy, a republic. If you ever, please, folks, listen to me on this one. If you, if you listen to anything that I say on this podcast, listen to this. Don't ever call the United States of America a democracy again. You're doing a disservice to the people who founded this country and the people who fought and died for it during the Revolutionary War. Many thousands of people died. Do not dishonor them and dishonor their service by calling this country a democracy. Do not do it. Because number one, it's not true. And number two, that's not what these people fought for. They did not fight for a democracy. And John Adams is telling you right here that's not what they were fighting for. They were fighting for a republic form of government. Right there, right there, ladies and gentlemen. And the reason why people in academia, everywhere, I mean, show me, I've, 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 most presidents, I mean, when was the last time I heard a president of the United States actually refer to this country as a republic instead of democracy? I can't remember. Well, I take that back. I can remember, but again, I'm not going to mention names, so I'm not going to go there. It was a lot, I'm just going to put this out there. It was a really long time ago. Uh, some of you listening to this podcast probably weren't alive at the time. And, and honestly, was I alive at the time? No. It was right before my time. I was actually not alive when, when that was spoken of. But anyway, so always call this country a republic. Not because it has anything due to do with a political party or anything of the sort. That It's very different. The concept of a republic goes way back to, to Rome. The Roman Republic. Does, does this, any, any of this sound familiar? Nobody understood the Roman Republic better than the Founding Fathers did. Nobody. No, let me let me just re, let me rephrase. No generation of people understood it better than the Founding Fathers. And there's a reason why they chose to use that word to describe the best form of government, and that's because it was the best form of government. Always keep that in mind. And it's not political, it's not partisan to say that. It's just factual truth. Going back to the Roman Republic, that's the way it is. And the statement towards the end here, quote, they would never submit to tyrants or oppressive projects, end quote. And why wouldn't they? Quote, there is so much of a Republican spirit, end quote. Here's the problem, folks. You see, when so many people in the United States of America, and, and those of you in the rest of the world who kind of watch the United States from afar and just shake your head because you understand this, these concepts and you just shake your head at the way the United States conducts itself sometimes, believe me, I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. When people don't even know what form of government they have and they walk around saying that this is a democracy and democracy is awesome and we got to save the democracy and d democracy this and democracy that. If you don't even know what form of government we have, how in the world are you ever going to stand up against it? Or, or excuse me, stand up against anything that, that comes against that form of government? You, you're not going to be able to because you don't even know what you're doing. Uh, and again, I'm speaking in the general you. I'm not speaking to the audience of this podcast. The audience of this podcast is probably already there. I'm probably, you know, preaching to the choir here. But for the most part, there's going to be a few people who roll into this podcast, though, who don't know this stuff, who don't know the difference between a republic and a democracy. So I have to go into, I have to labor over this for a little while. So just bear with me. So because they understand their form of government and how important it is, quote, they never would submit to tyrants or oppressive projects, end quote. So if you don't know that, if you don't understand forms of government, if, if there's a number of people out there who don't understand this stuff, what are they going to do? They probably will submit to tyrants or oppressive projects because they don't know what they're doing. 
It's so much easier to submit to tyrants or oppressive projects when you when you don't like like I said before, if you don't know what your rights are, how do you know when they're being trampled on? You don't. So that's why we're here on this podcast, learning from the great John Adams. Professor John Adams is in session, and we should listen to him. Uh, so let's continue with Professor Adams. As I, I'm, I'm kind of joking. He wasn't a professor, but I, sometimes I call him Professor Adams because he was a he was a genius on forms of government history. Again, going all the way back to the Roman Republic. So let's continue reading from John Adams. John, Ad- This is going to be a, a letter from John Adams to Abigail Adams, dated the 5th of July, 1774. This is a good one. Quote, I can't be easy without my pen in my hand, yet I know not what to write. I have this morning heard a dialogue between Will Gardner and Captain Pont of Fal- Falmouth. Gardner says he can't subscribe to the non-consumption agreement because he has 100 men coming from England to settle upon Kennebunk- Kennebec River, and he must supply them, which he can't do without English goods. That agreement, he says, may do at Boston, but not in the eastern country. Pote said he never would sign it and railed away at Boston mobs drowning tea and tearing, tarring Malcolm, end quote. And by tarring Malcolm, he means a tarring and feathering. Uh, somebody was tarred and feathered. That happened occasionally in the colonies when people got upset. It was a, it was a despicable practice, by the way, uh, tarring and feathering. Thank goodness nobody does that anymore. Of course, people probably do worse things, but... This is interesting. So he's talking about the non-importation, non-consumption kind of agreements that the colonists were kicking around at this time. We've talked about this before. Washington talked about it. And apparently he's he's listened to these conversations from these two people, and they both are in disagreement with it. One, because he believes he can't do it because he's got to provision these men coming from England, uh, I'm guessing, to do work. And then this uh, individual who says he he can't he won't do it because he hates the Boston mobs, the drowning of tea, and the tarring of uh, this this gentleman Malcolm. And uh, and I, I can understand both points of view. You know, not everybody can go along with a non-importation agreement because they have certain things that they just can't work around. They just can't. And there might be some legitimate cause for that. And then there's going to be people who disagree with the Boston Tea Party, which again I've said before I disagree with. And again, the tarring and feathering. I'm with this guy. You know, Captain. Captain Pote, I'm against these things too. However, how can you rail against the Boston mobs on the one hand and the drowning of the tea, but not rail against martial law, the locking up the port of Boston, and the overthrow of the Charter of Massachusetts, the removal of people from council for no other reason than they're not loyal to the king, and the imp- the imposing of a military governor on the province? How in the world can you go along with all that? Uh, that would be reason enough for me to still support non-importation agreement, even though all this other stuff, even though I disagree with the Boston Tea Party, I would still be in favor of a non- non-importation, non- non-consumption agreement because the, the king overreached. But that's me personally. Those gentlemen disagree. And, and this, this happens, you know, people, when it comes time for people to sacrifice for their rights through non-importation, non-consumption, a.k.a. a boycott, is what we would call that today. Uh, people don't want to give it up. I, I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a good thing the Founding Fathers didn't have Netflix, because I really struggle to think whether or not the American people would even give up their Netflix subscription to stand up for their rights. I don't know, I don't know that many would. I mean, there's definitely some people, I hope every listener of this podcast would say, absolutely, I would give up my Netflix to stand up for my rights. I certainly, I don't even have Netflix, by the way. But I, I hope that a great many people would give up something to stand up for their rights. But there, there's a number of people who never will, just because it's inconvenient. So that's that. Let's continue uh, reading on here. This gets this gets interesting. We can we can see how angry John Adams is here at some of this stuff that's been going on. Quote: I might have pursued my inquiry whether he did not mention the universal pilfering, robbering, and picking of pockets which prevails in the land, as every man's pocket upon the continent is picked every day by taking from him duties without his consent. 
I might have inquired whether he mentioned the universal spirit of debauchery, dissipation, luxury, effeminacy, and gaming which the late ministerial measures are introducing, but I forbore. How much profaneness, lewdness, and temperance have been introduced by the army and navy and revenue? How much servility, veniality, and artifice and hypocrisy have been introduced among the ambition and avarice by the British politics of the last ten years? In short, the original faulty causes of all the vices which have been introduced these last ten years are the political innovations of the last ten years. This is no justification and a poor excuse for the girls who have been debauched and for the injustices which have been committed in some riots, but surely the soldiers, sailors, and excisemen who have occasioned these vices ought not to reproach those they have corrupted. These Tories act the part of the devil. They tempt men and women into sin and then reproach them for it and become soon their tormentors for it. A tempter and tormentor is the character of the devil. Hutchison, Oliver, and others of their circle, who for their own ends and ambition and avarice have procured, promoted, encouraged, counseled, aided, and abetted the taxation of America, have been the real tempters of their country, countrymen and women into all the vices, sins, crimes, and follies which that taxation has occasioned. And now, by themselves and their friends, dependents, and votaries, they are reproaching those very men and women with those vices and follies, sins and crimes. There is not a sin which prevails more universally and has prevailed longer than prodigality in, the fu in, furniture, in furniture, equipage, apparel, and diet. And I believe that this vice, this sin, has a, as large a share in drawing down the judgments of heaven as any. And perhaps the punishment that is inflicted may work medicinally to cure the disease." End quote. Goodness gracious, John, tell us what you really think. Don't hold back. You're far too diplomatic, Mr. Adams. I mean, he, he, unleashed the, he unleashes the big guns here. Quote, these Tories act the part of the devil, end quote. Quote, a tempter and tormentor is the character of the devil, end quote. Wow, we could learn a lot from this state. You know, I could probably speak for the next hour and a half on just these few paragraphs here that I just read. I, I'm not making that up, and I'm not exaggerating. I could easily speak for the next hour and a half about it. So I'm going to have to really curtail my thoughts here and, and sum this up in a particular kind of way that just really touches on what, what John Adams is going on here. He's he's obviously got a list of grievances here, and he's talking about all manner of sins that have been introduced into the colonies, and he, he blames these people who've brought it in, these officers and these soldiers and sailors from Britain who have come to the colonies, have brought with them or enabled amongst them within the colonies certain kinds of sins and crimes that they then ridicule the people for, or they chastise or judge the people for. And what, are, what, what kind of sins are we talking about here again? Quote, The universal spirit of debauchery, dissipation, luxury, effeminacy, and gaming. End quote. Okay. And then on the, on the back of that, there's this, there's this tempting and tormenting of people over these sins. Quote, These Tories act the part of the devil. They tempt men and women into sin and then reproach them for it and become soon their tormentors for it. End quote. So on the one hand, they, they bring about this, um, this spirit of sin, as, the, as John Adams calls it, which is basically just reprobate or degenerate behavior. That's the best way that I can articulate that to you. So it's basically like when he says dissipation, I'll go back to the list of crimes or sins that he's, he's talking about here. A spirit of debauchery. Think, you know, 
loose morals. I'm, I'm not going to get too much. I'm not going to paint a picture for you here because uh, this is a family-friendly podcast. But loose morals, let's just put it that way. Dissipation, that's drunkenness, basically. You know, excess consumption of alcohol, so on and so forth. Dissipation is what the Bible calls it, too, by the way. Uh, luxury, which think profligate spending. And by profligate spending, of course, I mean spending like a drunken sailor. Um, just, just all kinds of... Uh, High living, probably on the backs of the uh, the people of the colonies. So all these kinds of things, and he blames it on who again? These Tories, like I like I read from read, read to you before. What's a Tory, by the way? Uh, some people don't know what that is, but it's basically um, a, a loyalist. We'll just call him a loyalist. It's a kind of uh, party, uh, I guess you could say, it, a political party of sorts, but loyalists to the British crown. So on the one hand, the Tories enable this kind of sinful behavior. And then, of course, they turn around and torment people for it at the same time. Does anybody think about social media when when I, when I describe that to you? Just curious. I'm just curious. Um, that that echoes in my mind when I when I hear John Adams talk about it. It's amazing how things never change, no matter what, no matter what the case may be. But also, more specifically than just the Tories, he he says there's a there's a group of folks here that are particularly at fault. Quote. Introduced by the Army and Navy and Revenue, end quote. Well, we all know, like, I'll, I'll give you the classic example of, like, you know, think think of the Boston as like a port city where the British Navy has anchored. Everybody, you know, sailors have a reputation. Let me just put it that way. And, I, and for those of you who may have been in the Navy who might be listening to this podcast, I don't mean to, you know, I don't mean to impugn your character in any particular kind of way because there's, there's good and bad people in the Navy. And it's not so much that the people who behave badly at port or let me, let, maybe maybe it's not even behave badly, but, you know, from John Adams' perspective, they, they behave in a manner not befitting a proper gentleman. Let's just put it that way. So what would a proper, how would a proper gentleman in John Adams' time behave? Let me just put this out there. Sailors at port don't tend to behave that way. Uh, some do. Uh, there's a lot that don't. Whether it's drunkenness, you know, large con- consumption of alcohol in, in sizable quantities, uh, things of this nature. So that's what he's talking about. He's basically saying that they, they've, they, the British military has essentially made this a port city where, you know, they encourage th- this kind of sinful behavior, as John Adams would put it. Keep in mind again, by the way, this, this part of the country is where the Puritans and the Separatists settled from, from uh, England. And these were some religious people who really had some convictions. And it's, it's a shame that uh, Puritanism and all the rest of it has really been used as a pejorative these days. That is to say, almost like an insult uh, to say that somebody is puritanical. But, you know, the Puritans really did do a lot of really good things back in the day. You know, mainly encouraging, you know, good behavior, but also the uh, eventually the abolition of slavery, by the way, was was a spearheaded by Puritan people of a Puritan mindset and Quaker mindset, by the way. So if you if you don't like the if you don't like Puritanical mindsets, you really ought to take another look at it. They they really did accomplish a lot of good for this country. But that's that's a debate for another time. I'll probably do something of a uh, Patreon podcast on that at some point, uh, a podcast episode. So so this is what he this is the picture he paints, and he's not none too happy about this. So he, he's none too happy with the army and the navy. And then he mentions you know quote by the army, navy, and revenue end quote. And he mentions excisemen. He says it again in in a, a paragraph later quote. But surely the soldiers, sailors, and excisemen who have occasioned these vices ought not to reproach those who have been corrupted, end quote. So what is an exciseman, and what does he mean by revenue? He's talk- talking about tax collectors. And, you know, tax collectors are often regarded as, as being not so good people. The Bible actually has some choice words to say about tax collectors as well. Usually when tax collectors are referenced in the Bible, it's not in a positive context. If you go through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tax collectors are not talked about positively. Let's just put it that way. But you want to know an interesting fun fact from history that not a lot of people know? 
Samuel Adams, who was a great patriot, by the way, he was known actually, he was such a patriot and such a necessary patriot. He was actually known as the father of the American Revolution. And John Adams actually, uh, there's a there's a quote I have from a book that I read about this. John Adams actually regarded Samuel Adams as being indispensable in the revolution. But I'm paraphrasing somewhat, but, and I'm, I'm this is my opinion based on what John Adams wrote. Uh, he he really did believe Sam Adams to be critical to the to the founding of the country. Sam Adams, however, was at one time a tax collector. Did you know that? The father of the American Revolution was at one point a tax collector. Fascinating. So, you know, you, you imagine... So, John Adams paints this picture of drunkenness and gambling and loose morals, as I describe it, you know, when it comes to, you know, the women of the colony and, and probably the, the soldiers who are coming over from Britain. This is um, this is a big problem for, for a religious people to observe. I mean, we don't think much of it today, do we? Which is kind of a sad commentary on the United States. Like the gambling, especially, we don't really think much of that. It's just kind of normal. And drunkenness, well, you know, drunkenness in public isn't really normal. I mean, unless you're, you know, it's 2 a.m. 2, 2 and it's closing time and people are stumbling out of the bar. But You'd be you'd be surprised. Any kind of any kind of drunkenness really was looked down upon by the uh, religious folks of this particular era. It's not that they didn't drink alcohol. As a matter of fact, the separatists and the Puritans actually drank quite a bit of alcohol, mostly because they believed the water was tainted and it wasn't healthy to drink. And the alcohol and the alcoholic beverages made made things safer to drink, which they I think they had some uh, legitimate uh, concerns about that. Nowadays, of course, we don't have that problem. We have good filtered water, but uh, that's that again. That's a that's a discussion for another day. So clearly. John Adams is none too happy at all about what's going on here. Very interesting. And he just unloads. I mean, he just went on a went on a long rant about this. He he is just all kinds of ticked off about this this attitude that has been brought to the colonies by the excisemen, the, the army and the navy, etc. Let's look at this last paragraph here again that I read. Quote, There is not a sin which prevails more universally and has prevailed longer than prodigality. End quote. Prodigality, by the way, is like profligate spending. It's the same kind of thing. So spending like a drunken sailor. He, he mentioned it earlier as, quote, luxury, end quote, and down here as, quote, prodigality, end quote. This is obviously something he sees as a very serious problem. Let's continue. Quote, in furniture, equipage, apparel, and diet, end quote. So he's talking about extreme spending in furniture, equipage, apparel, and diet. So people living largely, and he's concerned about people living largely on the on the public dime. So if the if the colonies are allowed to be taxed taxed in, in this regard, this this could this exacerbates this problem. So, and, and he demonstrates that in the preceding paragraph, quote, Hutchison, Oliver, and others of their circle, who for their own ends of ambition and avarice have procured, promoted, encouraged, counseled, aided, and abetted the taxation of America, end quote. You know, he's saying that these people have been, ha, are the source of it. I mean, right before that, he says, quote, a tempter and tormentor is the character of the devil, end quote. So he really believes that this, this taxation is making all this stuff worse, this, this sinful behavior on the part of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, these visitors to the colony or these loyalists, the Tories, within the colony. And you may disagree with John Adams, and you may not understand his, his religious nature, and you may not have a sensibility inclined towards that religious nature, but just understand that, you know, these folks who were living in Boston at the time, a lot of them, including Samuel Adams and John Adams, very religious people, and they didn't like this kind of stuff in their colony. They did not like it at all, and they believed that taxation was just making it worse, because then you begin to have this kind of large living on the part of these people up at the top, and then it filters down through the society, and... It all enables this uh, this really just bad behavior on the part of the people who are there. Military, army, navy, etc. Because uh, 
as I've talked about before, the army and navy in the British Empire at this particular time didn't have a lot of character or honor. Uh, it's not like the American military today. It just isn't. Uh, we talked about the war crimes that were committed in the British Empire. Uh, namely, the British prison ships off the coast of New York, where 11,500 American soldiers, sailors, and civilians died. They were murdered, basically. They were murdered, tortured, and murdered at the hands of the British Navy and the military. That's, that's the military that John Adams is talking about. Understand, this is not the same as our military today, so this is much worse. Even though I, even though I say, you know, sailors in port don't, don't always, aren't always on their best behavior. Again, what I mean by that is like, typically they don't, they don't behave as proper gentlemen. That's, that's basically what I'm talking about. But John Adams is painting quite a darker picture here amongst the character, about the character at the time. It was just a different time. Uh, we don't see that kind of thing today, thank goodness. But John Adams clearly identifies it here, and he doesn't like this in his colony. He doesn't like it at all. So, in, in summary, what do we have here from John Adams so far today? You know, he talks about these people who've, who've run Massachusetts previously, these governors and administrators, and how they really are trying, you know, their efforts are designed towards destroying the, the Constitution, as John Adams calls it, and the rights and liberties of the people in order to enrich themselves. And then he talks about this enrichment, of these people and the corruption around it and the, and the bad behavior of people around it being brought to the colonies and he's not he's not ta he's not citing any particular action that should be taken at this point except that it, you know this stuff really just is best gotten rid of and you know I had hoped to cover another letter there's another letter that came right after this on uh, July the 6th uh, so this letter I just read to you is from the 5th of July 1774 he writes back to his wife again the next day and he continues on with this, and it's of a similar nature, but that letter is rather lengthy, and I have a lot of notes around it, and I just don't have time to cover that in this particular episode of the podcast, so it's going to have to wait till the next one. It'll either be Wednesday or next Sunday again. If I, if I, um, it'll probably be Wednesday, because obviously if I, I already have the research already lined out, so I'll, that, that, that kind of saves me. I'll be able to do a Wednesday podcast this week. Um, but I don't, if I do it now, this podcast episode is going to go well over an hour, and I don't want to do that. So, We'll leave it there, and so this is kind of an introduction to the feelings of John Adams. That's why I picked these letters. It may seem trivial. It's just basically Adams is upset about the general conduct of certain people within the colonies at this particular period of time, but this paints a picture of his mindset. Was he reluctant about doing something about all this stuff? Was he kind of on the fence? Was he a fence-sitter? Well, you know, I don't know. It's really not that bad. You know, kind of go along to get along, wait and sit. No, he, he's, he's clearly, clearly got a problem with all this and he's rather animated about it this isn't a he's not he's not a fence sitter here so we're going to see this build up in John Adams John Adams you know becomes one of the i believe based on what i've read one of the more passionate of the founding fathers when it comes to separation eventually from Great Britain because he wants to be rid of all of this kind of stuff that he just described so if you want to know why why was John Adams so passionate about about throwing off Great Britain this this is why so let's um let's finish up this particular episode of the podcast in the next section, let's go. So there you have it. You know, our first words from John Adams from this particular period of time as we begin our exploration into his mindset. So we, we, we know that you can tell based on what John Adams wrote, he was a religious man. And honestly, I can tell you, based on everything that I've read, I've read a lot from him, including his, uh, his work on the um, original draft of the Constitution for Massachusetts. He was a deeply religious man. He was a very religious person. You're going to see that a lot in John Adams. He, he talks like a, a true Christian person. And a lot of folks out there who may be listening to this podcast may not be Christian people, and that's perfectly fine. Just understand that John Adams and many of the Founding Fathers definitely were. And it influences what they do. It influences what they believe. And 
it really sparked up. It fired up this interest in their in their move towards independence because of the abuses that they saw and their feeling that there was some divine push towards creating a more representative republic of a country, more attuned to people's rights and liberties, and their free expression. So John Adams is a very central figure. I mean, if John Adams is going to play a role in this particular, in this podcast, ever, uh, many episodes of this podcast to come, because he's so animated and articulate about his beliefs, and he's he's very he's very intelligent on this stuff, and so it's uh, we're going to have a good time listening to this guy and, and some of what he has to say. And I hope you uh, I hope you enjoy what John Adams has to offer. It's going to get better over time. John Adams is just getting started. So if you find this particular podcast episode to be rather uneventful, again, I really have to cover it. I can't just cover the most exciting things that John Adams and George Washington ever wrote. I really have to cover a little bit of a wider breadth of it to be able to give you a picture of the people so you can feel their energy and their passion. I told you in a very early episode of this podcast that you are going to be able to feel what the Founding Fathers felt and in their writing, you're going to be able to feel their passion and their energy. And in this this latest letter from this this letter from John Adams to his wife, you can feel it. I mean, he just goes on and on. He was just brutal. He was brutal towards the regime that was uh, governing Massachusetts at the time under these various governors, General Gage, etc. Absolutely animated about it, and it's good to hear. You know, sometimes these founding fathers are they just seem like these stoic figures from history, you know, you don't really understand their passions and their feelings, but uh, in these letters, you really can get a sense of it. With that said, I hope you enjoyed this particular episode of the podcast. We're going to do more on John Adams, of course, obviously, and we're going to do some more topical podcasts. What I mean by that is, you know, the topical podcasts are like the Declaration of Independence, the Intolerable Acts, and a well-regulated militia, things like that. There's going to be more of that stuff to come. I'm going to mix it up a little bit here and there, and I hope you enjoy that. And if you uh, if you do or you don't, or you have a comment or a question, a thought on a particular episode, leave a review on this podcast to the extent that you can. Uh, again, I, I mean to get around to some of the other platforms and check reviews, but uh, for, for now, really, I check primarily the Apple platforms for that because that's my wheelhouse. That's what I operate in, but I'm going to branch out and obviously search the other, check out the other ones as well, see if there's reviews elsewhere. Also, my Patreon is available for you if you want to subscribe over there and send a message, comment, question, etc. I'll try to integrate those into the podcast as we go. Uh, which will which will make the discussion a little bit more interesting, uh, and that's that again is pod, Patreon.com/slash/podcasts with Roman. So I, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to look forward to seeing you folks next time on the next episode. That's going to be episode 15. Until then, I I again thank you so very much for joining me on this podcast. It's a great honor to have you with me, and this is Roman signing out. <laughs>